Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Back to recovery, sort of. I'm a guy in long-term recovery named Jason. And my name is Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And we definitely wanted to just take a moment at the beginning of this episode to, to thank everybody who listens. Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I know we do this for us in general, and, and we always kind of hoped some people would listen, but I don't know that I can express the right way how cool it is when people listen and then give feedback and then there's like more to think about it. It really keeps me going through the whole week. Like we talk about it for an hour and kind of hash it out. And then there's these other one or two ideas that come in and I'm like, huh, that's some interesting shit. And I'm having side conversations with people. And so just, I really, uh, we appreciate everybody that listens and takes the time. I know there's a, a crunch for time in the world. It's a lot going on. And so if you're taking an hour or, or more usually out of your week to listen, we really appreciate that. One of the cool things I noticed this week is that for the first time, our overall listenership is larger in a different state than Maryland. And I, to wow. me, that was like, oh, yeah. we, we made it, right? We're, <laughs> we're not just a local show anymore. Yeah, right. we're, uh, it's not just our friends. <laughs> right, exactly. So I was like, that's cool. It's, uh, it's California. So apparently we have somebody in Oakland that streams the shit out of us. So hi, Oakland. Uh, thanks for listening. Hey, shout out to Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and just in line with people who listen, you know, back to Selena giving us the idea for the, you know, the topic we did last week. I want to thank her again for that. And, and Sylvia for coming on. She was the absolute perfect guest for that show. I think it, it was just, it went so well. Yeah, that was, it was really good. Thank you. Uh, again, same. Thank you to everyone who listened. Thanks Sylvia for coming on. You know, we really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I, all the feedback I've gotten, uh, Amber on Twitter said she really appreciated Sylvia's insight, especially, you know, discerning that the fellowship and the group are different because she was kind of struggling with an issue she had had with some things going on. And uh, another listener, Julie, really appreciated the take that Sylvia had. And she said that Sylvia was just really easy to listen to. She's like, a lot of people seem... Uh, more frustrated and it's harder for her to not get defensive instantly about it. Um, but Sylvia was just kind of so laid back and easy to listen to about it. it. It allowed her to have the information sink in. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, in talking to her and she explained it a little bit on there, but that is, that is one of the things she's learned as being a black woman is how to tone that down so that people don't tune out or turn her off or get defensive back. I don't know if you caught that when she described that as talking in, in like an area service meeting and you get loud and then it's easy to dismiss people or blow them off. Like, oh, she's just an angry black person, right. you know, 
where she's worked really hard to not be that. And, you know, it's kind of it's sad in a, in a little bit of a way. I know. I, I didn't know how. I mean, I, I'm appreciating that people got it. And then there's also a part of me that's like, I don't I'm not allowed to tell people how to express themselves and they're angry. Yeah, right. They're angry. Right. Like, <laughs> right. It's like whipping my son for 20 years and then you know when he's mad about it and comes to shoot me telling him he's not allowed to be you know he should have came civilly and told me nicely about it or something like i I just don't get that option i guess but whatever it takes to get the message out i think is is what happens and uh thankfully sylvia had the message that a lot of people have been able to hear and, and gotten something out of yeah she's and she's an awesome person in recovery you know she's a she's been around you know this area for a long time and she has a lot to offer so awesome awesome so going back we didn't get to talk much because that episode just kind of cut right to the chase uh we didn't get to talk much about the comments about step nine we had a few of those uh sobriety matt our buddy on twitter had posted the episode and asked for some ideas about what people do with their step nine and so recovery man said not to make an amend that hurts anyone including yourself your higher power doesn't want you mangled in the process of the steps there may be uncomfortable amends, but nothing you can't handle. And, you know, I don't I don't remember. God, it's been two weeks. I don't remember yesterday, really. But <laughs> I don't remember if we said exactly not to hurt yourself or yeah. not. But I do think that's important. I know we kind of keyed in on the fact that, like, the process was really about you. It's not about whether these other people get healed. Even though that's the goal, the real process is about, like, me being at peace with myself at the end of the day. But... Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be, you know, go into the steps and come out worse off. Yeah, that's situation. for sure. I don't want to cause, you know, I don't want to cause harm to myself. You know, right. like that's part of the step. You know, ourselves or others. You know, and and again, I think that's where a sponsor can help us work through some of that, give us a different perspective. Yeah, that's got to get really tricky though with some of the things, some of the legal things we might be in trouble for, or people I know who don't want to turn themselves in, or this, that, and the other. Like, where's the line of what's harming myself and what's dealing with the wreckage of my past properly. And that's got to get really tricky. I can only imagine there's people out there who've uh, made some amends that ended up not being so fun for them, at least. I don't know if it hurt them or not, but. Yeah. Well, and, and there is a balance there too. I mean, obviously if I have to make a financial amends and, uh, you know, it's a little painful to give up that money, (laughs) but you know and it might create a little bit of a crunch in my lifestyle but i should still do it you know so yeah it's tricky uh another person crosstalk recovery said some of the amends end up being i'm sorry even though i still have a resentment against you and i I thought that was interesting i I don't know can you can you really make an amends properly the way ideal way if you're still holding a resentment is that even doable I guess you could live the amends process a little. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, like... I, I personally just look at any sort of resentment. Like, I've always looked at resentments as a failing on my part, mm-hmm. you know? So if I'm hanging on to a resentment, I'm trying to work that out, like, for a completely different reason than a ninth step. But right. I don't, like, uh, t- to me, uh, these resentments are like a luxury that I can't afford. You know, like hanging out in a bar or, you know, self-pity. Like even when I deserve self-pity, it's just not a luxury that I can afford myself too long because as an addict, you know, then it's all poor me and look at me and I deserve and I start justifying and rationalizing unhealthy behavior. Um, And resentments can be the same way even when they're justified. Like I have to 
for myself, it's important that I practice forgiveness, you know, and try to get over that resentment because I put myself in a bad situation. Yeah, that whole swallowing poison, waiting for somebody else to die thing <laughs> always hit home with me. It's like, man, that is the perfect analogy, right? I'm the one tore up inside over the resentment. Not, they're all free, living, you know, happy, joyous, and, and peaceful, and I'm miserable <laughs> over right. something that happened. And I think there's some some sort of, I would say, nuances between, like, what you consider a resentment. Like, okay, so, you know, I've had some issues in my life where people hurt me or caused harm to me. And I wouldn't, I mean, I've forgiven those people, but I don't carry a resentment is as in, like, I don't harbor up a bunch of anger and, and hatred when I think about those people anymore. But at the same time, I don't maintain relationships with them or I don't like let them off the hook for what they did wrong or put myself back in the same situation to be harmed again. You know what I mean? But right. but I don't think holding someone accountable um, for a harm that they caused is a resentment. You know, yeah. to me, they're different things. So and I've always considered a resentment just like a, an anger at a past issue with an individual, <clears throat> excuse me, or a situation. But I think our, our, you know, particular program defines it a little differently, which is interesting to me. It always has been. It talks about a resentment is reliving a past situation over and over again. And I'm like, is that really what a resentment is? Because, shit, I resent things that aren't terrible or, or weren't done to me. Just Well, and I put a little bit of a, I'll call it a caveat, or maybe it's in there too, is that it's the reliving of the past experience, but then feeling the same feelings all over mm. again. So that part of it's really important. It's not that I just remember or think about a situation that happened, but it's that I feel those same feelings, whether it's guilt, shame, embarrassment, whatever it was, you know, somebody embarrassed me in seventh grade by pushing me down on the playground and, and spitting on me or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, I can feel like, oh, that sucked, you know, that was a terrible thing. But if I'm sitting alone, I start thinking about that and get overwhelmed with shame again it's like dude that was 30 years you know <laughs> like right. like why do i still feel that shame like down to my core you know that's where the resentment is for me my buddy says you got to go find him as an adult and beat him up <laughs> <laughs> and then the shame will go away and you feel better oh. <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that works um then i just have double shame <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i just feel adult shame uh george c said rigorously examine your motives is the amend intended to honestly correct former wrongs or is it to make you feel better at the expense of the amendee? Hmm. Is it ego driven? Like check out, you know, clean me. Uh, and he said he got a lot of that badly the first time and had to reexamine his motivation, which I think is, huh. you know, how most of our lessons get yeah, learned. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we definitely talked about that. The motive is crucial. I know a, a buddy of mine, Jack always talks about, the motive might even be more important than the action. And I always hmm. found that to be an interesting statement. And I want to argue with him about it every time he <laughs> says it. Because I'm like, well, no, if I'm just doing the right thing, it doesn't matter why I do it. And he's like, no, you got to be doing it for the right reason. And I'm like, well, do I do the right thing for the wrong reason? Or do I do the wrong thing for the right reason? Like, that seems to me obvious. You do the right thing, right? Even if you don't have the right reasoning behind it, it'd be better than doing the wrong thing because you want to. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I wrestle with that myself a lot, you know, just in my daily life. Obviously, there's a lot of things as a parent, as a married person, as a, you know, responsible employee that's like, 
I really don't want to fucking do this right now. You know what I mean? But I do it because it's the right thing to do. And my motivation is probably like, I just don't feel like being bitched at. I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like hearing it later. So I'm just going to do this now. (laughs) Oh, man. And then uh, then we talk about in recovery, you're judged by your actions, not by your thoughts. So who cares if I do the right action? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm like, look, it's better that I don't rob this bank only because, you know, some horrible wrong reason. I don't know what. Then it is that I do rob the bank because, you know, I want to. Like right. that, I, Yeah, I, I don't know. I just can't get down with it. But he says it, and I, I don't, you know, I love his recovery and his information, so I don't doubt it. I just always want to argue with it because when I'm not sure. It's probably like most of these lessons. It's like there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all in life. In certain situations, you're just supposed to do the right action despite your motives. And in other situations, the motives are really important, as in this amends thing. Like it... It is really important that we keep track of what our motivation is in our amends. Like, it is really important that we remember, like, no, it isn't just about going and saying, I'm sorry. It's about, you know, honoring the pain and the harm that you cause to other people. Well, on the other side of that, we talk about you can't think your way into better living. You got to live your way into better thinking. So if I sit around and wait on this right reasoning to do things i'll never do them according to that statement right like i have to do the right thing for the wrong reasons first repeatedly yeah. and then eventually hopefully i'll be doing the right yeah. thing for the right reason yeah. wasn't that fake it till you make it Isn't yeah that that? <laughs> yeah that's definitely what i gotta do it's interesting i had this conversation with somebody recently um because i say i just don't feel like doing stuff a lot of times right and so ultimately my life is set up right now where I can kind of get away with that frequently, right? I can frequently choose to do the, you know, so-called lazy thing or, or the thing that feels better right now, even though I don't really feel better later. And they're like, well, do you think you're going to just like feel motivated one day and then start doing things? Is that what you're waiting on? And they didn't, they asked it real, you know, nicely. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. these motherfuckers got me, right? <laughs> like, right? Because I know that's not true. I, I, I know from, you know, talking to people who struggle with depression that like generally you're not just going to be not depressed one day and then you go out and go to parties and, and whatever, go shopping. Like you have to kind of force yourself at some point. And no, that doesn't mean if you're depressed that you need to go force yourself to do anything. Like I, I get it. There's a level of like seeking the right professional help to help you start being motivated. And possibly that includes medication, which is interesting because we're going to get to that later in this, this episode. Um, and so through taking these steps with professionals, you can find a way to find these little bits of motivation, but there are times you need to kind of push through a little bit, right? I'm not saying depressed people are lazy. Please understand me clearly (laughs) here. I get it. That's not the case. Um, but it was the same thing with my situation. It was like, fuck, man, they got me. I, I'm not just going to feel better one day. I need to start pushing myself here and there to do this shit I don't feel like doing now so that I feel better later on. Uh, and that inspired me to, you know, leave my house and, and not attend my home group virtually last night. I actually went in person because of that damn statement. So, um, <laughs> but see, that's where I think the, the program is important that we develop – you know, a a support group or a network of people that are gonna, you know, that we be open-minded and we're looking for solutions outside of ourselves. You know, it's that self-centeredness that gets me into trouble, that me living in my own head thinking I don't, you know, I got it all figured out. And I tell myself bad shit all the time, bad information. And it sounds really 
smart at the time. <laughs> you know, it sounds really good. It's right. I'm smart. I know what I'm talking about. I, you know, I've researched this before, <laughs> and uh, I don't realize that I'm setting myself up for a trap. You right. know. Uh, the last one was Sandra. Uh, the first person she had to forgive and make amends to was herself. No way could she start until then. And that required a solid six and seven. And she said she did them umpteen times until she really understood. Then she was ready for nine. Uh, I'm going to guess that's the other program, uh, just because I don't think their six and seven is the 80 pages of writing. <laughs> right. Like, nope, once was enough. <laughs> right. I got it. I'm moving on. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why we do it that way, so you don't have to do it like 30 times. I don't know. But no, I, yeah, I... I don't know. It's interesting that we point out so frequently, and, and I've heard it so many times in meetings about eight and nine. Oh, you know, I got to be at the top of my list. You know, I definitely harmed myself the most out there. It says that right in the literature. And then in the actual literature about eight and nine, it kind of says you can put yourself on there, but that's not really the point of this. Like the point of this is to deal with the way you feel about the others. Yeah. And for me personally, I mean, I didn't put myself on the list not that i didn't think about myself but i thought man look at all i've done in recovery like i'm making amends to myself by doing this that's all that's right. all i need you know what i mean like this is what i needed all along <laughs> you know yeah no i think i think for me i guess the only thing i would say i do totally understand the amends to self from a like an inner child perspective but that doesn't seem to fit in. Like, we don't talk about that in our program. You know, some other yeah, programs. Yeah, it's like therapy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, ACA, like Adult Children of Alcoholics, mm. they, they do a, a lot of talking about inner child. And I believe we might have somebody from there coming on sometime in the next couple months. Oh, nice. Um, but we don't really specifically mention that. And so I'd be hesitant to, like, pass that information on <laughs> to others in our room. But yeah. But yeah, I could see from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense, right? That we do need to make those amends <clears> to that uh, inner child. But yeah, just in the sense of our literature, it's interesting that so many people say it, even though in our literature it kind of says, eh, it's not really the point of what we're doing here. Right. I don't know. So that was some of our wrap up from the last couple of weeks. Um, one of the things we wanted to get to tonight and just knock out of the way because the presidential election is coming up um, and I'm going to stay politically unbiased to the best of my ability but you know we we do even though it seems like from my internet searches nobody really cares about the stances of the candidates um and if you don't believe me try to find the stances of the candidates because what i found was a whole lot of you know democratic primary stances between the different democrats and what it seems like is you're all tied into being republican or all tied into being democrat and you're not allowed to have a stance outside of that box um which was kind of shocking to me. It's like I remember growing up and going to school and, and we looked at the candidates' policies and, and ideas. And, we, you know, even if you were a Republican, you might, you know, on this one issue, like you might be pro-choice or something. You might be outside of the box on this one or two issues. But I guess that's just not the way it is anymore. And so what I found uh, was their stances. I could not find drug policy specifically. But they did uh, have a, a piece where it was talking about the opioid epidemic, which I figured tied pretty well in. And so uh, Joe Biden, his stance says the best way to tackle the opi opioid crisis is to make sure people have access to consistent health care, including insurance that covers addiction and mental health services. That's why I support protecting and building on the Affordable Care Act, 
which halved the rate of uninsured granite staters between 2013 and 2017, and allowed then-Governor Hassan to expand these health care services to over 55,000 granite staters through the Medicaid expansion. The Affordable Care Act also gave more than 60 million Americans access to more mental health and substance use disorder benefits and so-called parity protections, requiring insurers to treat mental health the same as physical health. In addition, I'll invest in expanding access to treatment for substance use disorder and hold criminally liable the pharmaceutical executives who peddled these drugs. Finally, instead of incarcerating someone for drug use alone, I will require federal courts to divert these individuals to drug courts so they receive treatment to address their substance use disorder, and I'll expand funding for federal, state, and local drug courts. So, uh, the stance by Joe Biden, the Democratic presidential candidate, is that he wants to expand drug court treatment so that he's not locking people up for drugs alone. I guess that means that, you know, if they do other crimes, they would have to do the time for that. But he wants to get people treatment. He wants to make sure people have access to health care so that they can get into treatment. He wants to make sure that insurance companies provide uh, access to mental health, just like they would for physical health. He wants to hold responsible all the people who peddled the, you know, the Oxycontins and stuff like that. Um, so that sounds like something I like. Um, President Trump, who is also a presidential candidate coming up, did not give a stance on this issue at all. Um, I guess me personally, I would glean that since he believes himself to be the, the law and order president, uh, which is what I hear a lot. And he wants to kind of, you know, quelch the, the riots with uh, higher levels of violence, I guess. I, I'm not sure. I would assume that that would be more of like a 1980s Ronald Reagan, you know, zero tolerance kind of policy on drug use. Uh, I don't know. Any thoughts about that at all? Or uh, Yeah, and, and while we're talking, I was sitting here trying to look up Trump and, and what his opioid, you know, addiction treatment plan is, and I couldn't really find anything either. Um, I, I mean, this gets back a little bit into the racial stuff as well, but I think the criminal reform part is a huge aspect of, you know, the, the drug problem as well. I mean, we trap people into a cycle once you lock them up for possession or, you know, put that stain on their record. Um, I myself fell into that, you know, I was a good student. I was a, you know, well-educated young man but once i started getting a couple of felonies on my record and they were felonies for possessions they weren't i wasn't out like robbing places and getting caught with drugs or committing violence or harm to others although i guess you could say i was you know drinking and driving which that could cause a harm you know it's definitely dangerous but you know my possessions and stuff were all possessions and stuff they weren't i wasn't a drug dealer i wasn't a overt criminal you know supporting a drug habit um, but once I had those things on my record, it, I don't want to say it made it impossible, but it definitely hampered, you know, my ability to get into college, you know, my ability to do a couple other things. I know you've had similar, you know, experiences with, you know, once you get that stuff on your record, it's like, fuck, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I think we see that happen in a lot of these it's like the vicious cycle of there's a lot of drugs in poor and black and minority communities. Um, we see it in poor white communities as well. 
So obviously that's where the cops are going to go look for the drugs. So they're going to go into those neighborhoods, shake down those people, find the ones that have any kind of drugs on them. Most of the time it's small amounts of drugs, but it doesn't matter. It's drugs, so you're going to get charged. And, you know, then you're in the system and you're in the cycle, and it's hard to break that. Yeah, I mean, my, my you know, biggest problems when I was younger was, was getting money to get more. And uh, I took two checks out of a checkbook. each wrote them out to myself and cashed them. And because of that, I've been, you know, had to have extra interviews to, to prove that I was like worthy to get into college, like just to have an education. Uh, I'm definitely limited in the ability to like get certain jobs. I've been turned down to help inner city youth learn to read, (laughs) like all these crazy things. And, you know, my thing is like, I'd love to advocate for, mandatory you know expungement of all records after a certain amount of time like look you've done your time oh you went 10 years and didn't have any more problems your record disappears like that's the kind of the point right if you haven't gotten in trouble again you should be done with it um and i think that would help a lot of people in in our community in the recovery community just to have all that stuff kind of wash away after they've spent enough time doing the right thing um But yeah, I would say, you know, look, wherever you stand on the next election, you know, whatever candidate you support or or have reason to support, like, I I don't know. I guess the weird thing to me in looking up these issues and and where people stand on policies was that there wasn't much policy conversation. And that felt strange to me because I thought we elected the president based on what they stood for and what their plan was moving forward. Um and so I, I don't know, I guess, you know, people just back people by name now or just by party or, or whatever it may be. But whatever you're, you're planning on doing, uh, if you're planning on voting, take into consideration that if you are in the recovery community and believe in, you know, helping the recovery community, where people stand on those kind of things. So. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I, I think just a few years ago, two or three years ago, like the opioid crisis and the addiction crisis were like way at the top of the list of important things and there was a lot of conversations about it Mm -hmm. um now with covid with all the racial Mm. violence and and the racial issues going on um right you know a lot of the climate issues we have these terrible fires and you know natural disasters happening it's like you know women and gay rights like and all of these things are important. I don't mean to sound like one's more important than no, the other, you. but it's like there's so many of these things that are being thrown to the forefront. It's like the addiction one seems to have sunk down kind of lower on the list of what you hear on the news or what anyone's talking about. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say for good reason, but for understandable reason at least. Uh, it's not the top priority going on in the world right now. But anyway, I just thought it would be responsible uh, for us to – Talk about that and where people stood on issues that matter to us and to our hearts. And so vote with, you know, vote with the issues that matter to you and what's important to you. Um, So moving on, I'm on a a Facebook group that I think you put me on to Mike and Chris's cool N.A. history page. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I'm just, you know, scrolling through Facebook the other day. Happy, joyous and free. Minding my own business. And there's a post on there. It's like, look at this garbage that World Service just printed, right? IP number 30. And I was like, oh, controversy. I got to check it out. <laughs> and, and so I looked it up. It's uh, it's called IP number 30, Mental Health and Recovery, 
right? And, and like the first 10 comments under the post were all like really bashing it and man, they'll accept anybody. They'll let people do anything in NA anymore. You know, all this stuff, right? And, and I read it and I was expecting this like crazy new information and nothing. Like it's pretty much the same information. We already have a pamphlet called In Times of Illness that I've read before. And <laughs> doesn't really say anything outside of that it's very bland and vanilla and generic and i was like did these people read this pamphlet or did <laughs> they just bash it because it exists or what and so there's there's like right now 151 comments on this there's all kind of hatred and <laughs> arguing about this pamphlet and so i thought we would talk about it just a little bit i i know there's not really much in it to talk about uh what was your take on, on reading it uh, well, first, I, I thought when you mentioned that page, I believe when I told you about that page, it was a good place to find controversy and oh. things because just because you typically have a lot of like really old school, um, traditional, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, you know, not in favor of the current service structure people right. that. It's almost like the people that are against big government. It's the same thing. Like they look at world service and the current service structure as some sort of big government that's taking power away from the groups and the individuals in mm -hmm. Narcotics Anonymous. And typically, you know, we've always been explained that the way, you know, this 12-step fellowship works is that it's directed by or, or driven by the groups and the individuals sort of drive the direction of the service structure. And at times it feels like that's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just we've become a worldwide fellowship. There's so many people that it's sort of difficult to get the opinion of a couple of million people and right. difficult to get everyone's take on any one individual issue. I, I got to say, I, I really, with the fucking smartphones, I just don't think it's that difficult. <laughs> I don't get it. It's kind of like we still do a representative democracy. And I'm like everybody's got a fucking phone, man. We could have an app and all vote directly on everything. You could, but here's a, here's a, let's just say a, a forsake argument. Let's say, you know, everyone that's in the 12 step fellowship, which not everyone would, but let's say, all right, you know, world service says, put your email into our database. We'll send you questionnaires and surveys on when we're going to do stuff to get your input. Right. If you got a questionnaire that had 10 questions on it, you had to do more than eight seconds worth of reading, you know, in a text one day. Would you look at it and go, ah, fuck, I ain't got time for this and chuck it aside if it came from world service or would you fill it out? I'm probably doing it because I know very few people are, in my opinion, it's going to matter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's what I mean. But you know already that right. a lot of people are going to get that and they're going to look at it and go, I'll, I'll do it later. I don't have time. It's more than three seconds of reading, so I'm, I'm done. Well, those are the people we get to tell later that they don't get to bitch because they didn't take the time <laughs> <Right>. to <die. laughs> And, you know, it's just it's diff the more people you get involved, the harder it is to get everyone's opinion and then right. the truth is some people's opinions not going to be the popular opinion and they're still going to feel like their voice wasn't heard because you didn't do it their way right um now with all that being said um you know i read through that ip as well and i i mean there was nothing in there that was shocking it was if anything it was like refreshing to hear like hey you know mental illness is a real thing that people struggle with um, I, I tend to think having an old school sponsor at one time, like there was this attitude and he had expressed this a couple times, although he, 
he was sensitive to mental illness stuff because he had a parent that was mentally ill. Right. And he would distinguish the difference in kind of a funny way. But he would say, like, yeah, when I came into recovery, like, yeah, I was depressed and suicidal and all these things. My life was shit. I was living under a bridge. You know what I mean? Like, I had no reason to you know, have self-worth. I had no reason to be proud of the person that I was. Like, of course I was depressed. But I got in recovery, started working steps, you know, started fixing my life, and things got better. Um, And I think there's a general attitude that a lot of our mental health and mental issues just stem from addiction and drugs, and that if we just stop that stuff, it'll get better. Um, I don't know that I agree with that nowadays. I think we're much more educated on, you know trauma and you know ptsd and how that affects different areas of people's lives there's lots of different treatment options for those things whether it's medication or different types of therapies um i would say if anything i'm almost the other way around it's almost like the drug use is the second to all these other things going on first right like that's the treatment for what we already have but I think, and you see this not just from the recovery world, but from society in, in general. It's like, oh, all this mental health bullshit's just a bunch of pussies, you know right. what I mean? Or a bunch of wimps, you know? And we have a soft generation now. Like, they can't take anything. And it's right. like, there was this old school thing that, you know, we have, truthfully, a bunch of people running around with untreated mental illness, yeah. you know, is what it boils down to. And... uh you know, Sylvia had mentioned, like, in the in the black community, like, it's almost like you just take that person and you shove them in a room somewhere and that's just crazy Uncle Al or whatever, you know. And, you know, whether he actually goes to get therapy or medication or whatever is a side note as to you just get used to dealing with a crazy person. I think that was actually the post on the page was whatever happened to clean and crazy. Yeah. As in, like, we should look back to that as a great time in yeah, our like, life. Yeah, like, that was a good thing. to being clean and crazy? <laughs> we should all be that way. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I remember when I had first initially gotten clean, I actually had to get on a, an antidepressant. Just, I didn't, I guess I don't have to. Uh, I could have went back to using, right? But that was pretty much my alternatives. I got to that point where it was like, I'm going to get high again, or I got to fucking try something else, right? And I think the stance then, at least, that that people projected that I picked up was that antidepressants were like a lifelong sentence to being linked to a pill. And I think we kind of understand now that sometimes you just take these things for a season of your life to get through a period. Like, it doesn't mean you need an antidepressant forever. It doesn't mean, yeah, your brain chemistry might be out of whack, but it might not be that way permanently. Like, I think we just used to say, oh, it's always going to be out of whack, right? I'm going to have to take antidepressants forever because my brain chemistry just doesn't work. And that's not really the way I understand it now. Like, it might be over time. Say I'm struggling to sit down and meditate. I'm struggling to sit still. I'm struggling to sleep at night. Whatever it is, right? All these things add up and my life is miserable and I can't get it on track. And then I turn to drugs. Well, the alternative is if I can take this medicine that I need, whether that's an antidepressant or some other form of mental health medication, and then I can fall into a routine while I'm on that medicine of being able to meditate, of being able to get proper rest at night and go to bed on time, of doing the these positives in my life. There might be a time when I can take that medicine out and those behaviors are already established and producing the right result, and I just don't need the medicine anymore. That's what I understand to be true now. I, I thought originally that like once you did it, you were just hooked for life because 
your brain's out of whack. It'll never be right again. And so I think for me, it's a lot different in that aspect. It's not a, a life sentence. And, and even if your sponsor was right, that we might be a little depressed when we get here, maybe there's a way to help us through that point. <laughs> right. Like we don't need to be just, oh, fuck it. I want to hang myself for six right. months until I get better. Like we don't have to be there. Right. And if we took some of that, you know, if we got professional help, you know, might that minimize our risk of relapse or or minimize the amount of relapse you know and and exactly what you're describing has been my experience with my wife um i think she shares this pretty openly so i guess it's okay to say like when i first met her she was on a mental health medication and over the course of you know her life our life together you know, some things have stabilized, a lot of things have changed in our life, and she's been able to come off, and she's not been on medications for, it's been probably over 10 years now, and hasn't had a need to go back, but that's something we've talked about, and like she's talked about with her sponsor, is like, always being an option, you know, of like, hey, look, you know, I know I have a history of mental health issues, Um, you know, in the past, I've needed medication to treat it, um, right now I seem to be okay, but here are some warning signs of if shit's gone bad and then, you know, maybe it's time to get back to a professional, but those are all decisions she made, you know, with the help of like a professional mental health doctor, you know, what do they call that? A psychiatrist, you know, she sought outside help. This wasn't decisions that she made on her own. You know, right. these aren't things where she just decided one day, hey, I'm just going to stop taking all my mental health medications because, you know, somebody in NA said I'm using. Like, no, it was, you know, it was she was seeing her professional and said, hey, this is a, what I think I want to do. And they said, OK, well, here's how we can do that safely. And here's a here's a good approach to doing that. And that was, you know, and then she stopped seeing that professional. And, you know, they said, hey, it seemed like you're pretty good now. You seem like you're pretty stable. You know, I don't really need to see you anymore. If you feel a need to see me, call or make an appointment or come back or whatever. But for now, you're good. And again, that was, you know, seeking professional help outside of the program for an outside issue. <laughs> right, right. So let's go ahead and take our break real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and get jump right back into this. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Here we are, we're back, and uh, you know, you had made a good point, Billy, about people with this pamphlet possibly being more open to seeking this mental health treatment. You know, we said um, that maybe they don't need to be depressed for those first six months to a year, even though that's, yeah, that is what we feel, and that is where our life is at. Maybe that's a, a thing that's going to lead us back to that shame and guilt and feeling terrible and, and using all over again, right? And I... I think that's a super valid point that we can involve these professionals and whether that be therapy or or ultimately in the long run, some kind of medication that we need for our mental health conditions. But generally, I mean, I've been to a lot of meetings. I've heard a lot of people share their story. I don't ever remember somebody saying, 
I used over nothing, right? There's always yeah, these right. things going on, right? Whether that's some one individual trauma that occurred to them in their life, uh, you know, when they were younger, or whether that's just a series of, of feelings like something's wrong in their thinking or whatever, like recovery is an active change in our attitudes and ideals. And I, and I think professional help through therapy can help with that. Not that a 12-step program can't also help with it. I, I think they work great in conjunction, right? I'm not saying everybody needs both of them. Um, but yeah, like if people aren't using over absolutely nothing, and they do have reasons why they use, and yes, the steps slowly but surely as we work them do address these issues to, to an extent at least, to the best of their ability, right? Like why would it be a terrible thing to have people possibly relapsing less often or at less risk to relapse when they're with professionals dealing with this early on. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, I'm going to call it argument for, um, and I guess now they're using the word induction or MATs, you know, medicated assisted treatment for addiction is, you know, that can be just a bridge to help stabilize somebody through that really hard, you know, coming off the streets, trying to get their lives together, getting through, you know, whatever withdrawal or emotional, whatever. I mean, obviously, if you've been on drugs for years, I mean, your brain chemistry is all out of whack. You know, it's going to take some time to start kind of working through that. And if you're working with a recovery professional or a, a counseling service or whatever, then, you know, being open to these other kinds of, of, treatment until you can get stable get into a uh whatever better mental health position to deal with some of the traumas and issues that you have yeah it's uh it's so i mean like we said most of this information or if not all of this information is really not unique to now right we have <laughs> another uh pamphlet it's much longer Maybe that's why they wrote this, because it's way shorter and people might actually read it. But it's called In Times of Illness. It says pretty much the exact same thing. It talks about if you need to take prescription medication prescribed by a professional at any certain point in time. It's more, I think, physical illness focused, I would imagine, than this where it's mental health focused. But I think it's got pieces in it that talk about the mental health aspect as well. I think the only real difference I picked up on, besides the length, obviously, the other book is ridiculous, and you won't read it unless you're (laughs) bored and dorky, uh, like some of us. But the other book is more, it has the tone of, hey, reader, uh, this is going to be uncomfortable for you. People are going to judge you in recovery for having to take these prescribed medications for whatever amount of time you need to. But you being clean is really up to you and your sponsor, and, and have you know, take heart in the fact that we stand with you. And it seems like this newer pamphlet is less addressed to the individual and the tone is more, listen here, fellowship, (laughs) except these people who need to take these medications, stop telling them not to. You're not a professional in our rooms. You are just a guy who who has the last initial and calls himself an addict. Uh, Let them do what they need to do and prosper. And so I think that's an interesting thing that we kind of wrote. And, and it doesn't specifically say it like that. That's completely me. But that's the tone I get from it is that it's more to everyone instead of just the person that needs to take it, telling them that they're going to face backlash and, and it'll be okay. And and I don't know, you know, I, I guess in one 
it's good. I, like I like it, but it, and I also think from a, a fellowship standpoint, like that's strange. <laughs> like yeah. that's strange that we're speaking to the fellowship and telling them to chill the fuck out about their diagnosis or just, you know, feelings about medication. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard this criticism, obviously, again, from, from some old school members and, and you hear it, you know, when you hit enough meetings, you know, when I was new, they said, come in, you know, sit down, shut up. If you want to know how to use, you know, we'll ask you and stuff like that. Um, and we don't hear that anymore other than people that say it like that, you know, right. it's like, but you know, when new people come in, that's not the kind of shit that they're say, you know, that you typically say or that I say. I don't know what other people say. I don't say it and I don't hear a lot of people say that directly to a lot of new people. Um, we have sort of toned it down to be easier, softer NA these days. And there was a part of me at one point that didn't necessarily see that as a strength, that thought it was a weakness. Um, and now I kind of see it the other way. It's like when we can approach people with like compassion and understanding and, and all these principles that are outlined in our steps, you know, it's like love and empathy and, you know, willingness and tolerance and patience. You know, when we can approach new people with all of those things or even using addicts with those attitudes, um, generally that's you know i would say a more higher power driven approach than saying sit down shut up you know if we want to know how to use we'll ask you right right. yeah sit down shut the fuck up take the cotton out of your ears put it in your mouth and if we want to know where to cop we'll ask you where the good shit is and and there was just you know what you said there there was one line in here that i love because in the times of illness like it's never what i would say like directly clear that if you take medication prescribed by a doctor, you're not using, like, they don't actually say those words. Right. But in this one, they do. Like, there's actually a line in there that says, members who take medica- mental health medications as prescribed by a healthcare professional are considered clean. Hmm. So it says pretty directly in there that that's the case. I mean, yeah, I don't always know how that piece of literature can take the stance for the whole fellowship. I mean, I guess they can, but... Especially when there is, like, no actual, you know, version of being clean in any of our literature, really. Like, it never says this is specifically exactly what clean is, right? Like, coffee's acceptable, cigarettes are cool, no heroin, right? Like, that's not listed anywhere. It's always, your clean time is for you, it's between you and your sponsor, like... We don't make the decision about whether steroids get you high or not. Like, it's so strange to me right. that this piece all of a sudden decided to take a stance out of nowhere. Just fuck it. I'm going to hit them with it. You're clean. <laughs> right. Uh, it's really interesting. I, yeah, no, I agree with you. So I hear people share about the old timers and how rugged it was when they got here. And it was nobody ever really says that's exactly what I needed when I got here. Right. They just say it worked. <laughs> right. It's like, right. I managed to stay clean anyway, even in spite of these jerks at, at NA, right? Like nobody says, man, that's just what I needed when I walked in the door. Somebody to tell me to sit down and shut the fuck up. Like that's what we encounter our whole lives is people telling us what the fuck to do. And it ain't worked yet. Right. The judge did couldn't tell me what to do. My parents couldn't get me straight by telling me what to do. Like probation officers, whatever. Nobody that never worked. Right. I think the thing that I always hear people say that works is, man, I came in and I got this loving fucking hug from somebody. Right. 
and they they had empathy and they really understood where I was at because they had been there one time too and like so I just yeah I get it we are changing I don't know if it's easier softer whatever you want to call it I, I think that's maybe a view that that you know I've had at another point in time in my life when things were either macho or not macho right that was the only two classifications of how shit worked is either it's hardcore or it's stupid right and it's like maybe we've just learned like we've learned that the thing that we're missing in addiction is contact and connection with people and empathy like those are things we don't get and maybe being showered with that can help us I don't think it's like a softer enabling version of our message I just think we're we're adapting and learning, just like we know way more about mental health than we did in 1980, which is why we needed, you know, information about mental health to say, hey, shut the fuck up. Stop telling people not to take their mental health medication because they might stab you tonight. Right. And and just to kind of piggyback off, you know, Sylvia last week saying, like, we're this society in a society like we are and we have lots of different cultures and lots of different backgrounds and we all come from different places and there are certain cultures you know whether they're ethnic or whether they're military or whatever where that like tough rugged macho like is a huge part of their culture so you know obviously it's going to be more difficult for someone from that type of culture to come in and admit like hey i have a mental illness you know and i struggle with the voices in my head you know or or whatever and uh you know, hopefully we can be a place that people feel comfortable to come in and talk about those things. Yeah. So I, I guess the only the only holdup or hang up or issue or even question for me that arises out of this pamphlet. Right. It says if you're taking prescribed mental health medication, you're clean. Right. Um, we now classify DSM five. You know, that's the the book the handbook for all therapists everywhere to diagnose any mental health issues um they classify substance use disorder as it's a mental health dilemma right it's a mental health problem and so if you go to see a a licensed therapist and they recommend to treat your mental health problem of substance use disorder that you take suboxone or i i i guess methadone i don't know is that a that's more of like a drug replacement. Suboxone's more of a, I don't know. I don't know. So you're at, you're, you're taking prescribed medication for a mental health issue. Suboxone. But we'll tell you you're not clean. And I, I believe to an extent you're not NA clean, whatever the fuck that means. Right. So does this bring that into controversy? Does this make it questionable? Like, does this say, oh, well, you're treating a mental health issue as prescribed by a doctor, so you're clean? Yeah, so for me, the way I understood, you know, the difference, the point of clarity would be Narcotics Anonymous, the the 12 steps in the program, are treatment for addiction. Mm-hmm. We're not using a separate drug to treat addiction, you know, and, and as far as I understand, like Suboxone or Methadone or a, or a drug replacement therapy is trying to treat your addiction with a substance. Right. Um, we have a program to deal with addiction. We don't have a program that deals with other mental health issues, chemical imbalances, right. you know, things like that. So a chemical to treat and a different mental health issue other than specifically addiction, <laughs> you know, is okay. That's the way I would clarify it to 
for myself anyway. Right, right. And that makes total sense, right? So you can have mental health issues treated by medication, but not the mental health issue that we're in the program for, just not that one specifically. You can't have substance use disorder or addiction, as we call it, treated by medication, but any other mental health that we don't specifically treat, you know, see a professional and take their suggestion on that. That's cool, but that definitely does not say that in this pamphlet. It doesn't say if you're being treated for mental health issues that aren't addiction, (laughs) you're clean. Like, it completely specifies it. I mean, honestly, I would say, you know, on a technicality. So while I was looking for this new IP that came out, the one in the mental illness, uh, I came across one that I had never seen before that was released from our world board. It's called Narcotics Anonymous and Persons Receiving Medication-Assisted Treatment. Um, And then there's a sort of little, whatever you want to call it, disclaimer on this pamphlet that says... This pamphlet is intended for professionals who prescribe medication to treat drug addiction. The service pamphlet, NA Groups and Medication, listed below, contains a broader discussion of NA members and other medications. So this is, I guess, more of a uh, PR-type thing that we would put out to treatment providers and things. But in this pamphlet, again, it's addressed towards uh, people that are... uh, prescribing Suboxone or Methadone or whatnot. Uh, One of the sections in here says, By definition, medically-assisted therapy indicates that medication is being given to people to treat addiction. In NA, addiction is treated by abstinence and through application of the spiritual principles contained in the 12 Steps of Narcotics Anonymous. And so that kind of encompasses what you had said about, you know, we can use mental health medication as long as it's not in the treatment of addiction itself or substance use disorder which is it's just an interesting little like i don't how do you say that right how do you say you can use mental health medications all of them except this one yeah i don't understand that and then i mean even you kind of move into some really really iffy territory there because xanax is a prescribed mental health medication and that is definitely something that i would have used if i had access to it well and it does outline though in some of those uh in different areas in both of those pamphlets that it is also you should be taking it as prescribed i think anytime you start sell in a in the uh, mental illness ip it definitely talks about you know it's important that you take it under the direction of a professional and that you take it as prescribed like we aren't we shouldn't be self prescribing medications that's where it gets yeah even so though i just i can't imagine somebody giving me xanax even if i took it as prescribed it probably i don't know i just see it being a bad an iffy territory of whether i'm clean or not right like i don't know and and of course i'm not the person who needs it so i'm not trying to criticize anyone who who does require xanax for whatever mental health condition they have again that's what this pamphlet says. That's left to the professionals, not to, you know, Jason on the fucking podcast for sure. But it, it does create an interesting area, right? Where, where I don't know. I mean, I guess people are going to find a way to justify what they want to justify if that's what they're doing. And if they're just following mental health protocol and professional suggestions, then they're just going to do that. Yeah, and it gets back to something I know we talked about this on a few episodes back about, you know, again, 
what is actually clean, you know? Right. We're allowed to have nicotine. We're not allowed to have caffeine, you know? What about the guy that's taking the steroids because he wants big muscles, you know, or HGH or right. whatever? Or maybe he's just hopped up on a ton of, you know, over-the-counter shit from, you know, GNC or whatever, you know? Is right. that clean? You what know, Adderall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there is always going to be a level of self-honesty and self-awareness and uh the other part of it is i know i like to get defensive about what clean is and what clean isn't because it's so important to me but the truth is if you go out and get high tomorrow and then come back and say that you're clean it really doesn't hurt me in any way you know what i mean it it really doesn't matter that much for my personal recovery, my personal spirit, it might hurt my ego because, you know, that really, that term has powerful meaning for me and you're abusing it or whatever. <laughs> right. But the truth is, you know, the, the dishonesty, if, if people are trying to, you know, get around some sort of being clean, it only hurts them. I mean. So what, why do we hold so tightly to that, you know, moniker of being clean and, and defend it so deeply? Like, is it because we feel like we put in so much work and, and have gone without and have sacrificed that if you haven't, you don't deserve to use the word? Or Yeah, I mean, not to be too vulgar, but it was fucking hard to get here. You know mm. what I mean? It took a lot of effort. So I love after all this time, now we're not going to be too vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, you know, it's... it's it was a challenge right and it was hard and it's it's not a i mean if it was easy a lot more people would stay clean i guess that's like somebody that has a master's degree and then somebody else coming along and saying they're a professional in that arena or something that doesn't you know they've gone to you know no college at all they you know took an online health class or (laughs) something they're like wait a minute you can't call yourself that I get that. And I think that's why people get defensive about other recovery modalities, too. It's like we hold what we're doing in such high regard, Mm. you know, because obviously it's the only right way. You know, it's almost like religions. Like, well, we got the right one. You guys are doing some (laughs) other bastard thing over there, you know. I was trying to think if if AA had a similar dilemma. Like, they don't really have a, a Suboxone for alcohol type thing. Uh, not that I'm aware of, at least. Maybe there is something, and I just don't know about it. But I don't think they have a a similar. Thing I wonder how they? they treat like non-alcoholic beer or whatever. <laughs> like you know, very differing if, opinions. It's it's yeah, interesting. Right. I, I've always heard. So I remember hearing about this early on in my you know program experience was was my sponsor telling me like that's ridiculous. Like that's using basically. You might as well be like, what's the difference? Why are you drinking that at all anyway? And yet my interactions with people online there's a whole lot of people who enjoy mocktails and and you know near beer and all this stuff and and think it's fine and acceptable and who am i to tell them it's not like i'm like my first reaction was oh you can't fucking do that right like so so funny enough our sponsor voices of hope tomorrow night is doing a our luau you know movie thing at their center and they're gonna have a bunch of mocktails oh there caribbean style non-alcoholic drinks they can't sponsor us <laughs> yeah. anymore i said i was right with other people doing it yeah. not me i can't oh, encourage geez. any of that nonsense yeah that's crazy yeah but it's you know it's something people enjoy i mean I don't know. It's definitely not the same as a Suboxone, from what I understand. Look, I don't know. I never took Suboxone. I never got high off of it. I've heard differing accounts of whether you really actually get anything from it. Uh, people do say there's something, but, the, you know, it's not 
exactly like the other things. I mean, I guess AA has an abuse, but that doesn't really do the same thing. I mean, we have Vivitrol that's kind of the same as that. Yeah, well, and it's like methadone. I mean, you hear people that are on lower doses of methadone, and then you hear people that are on these ridiculous doses of methadone. And, you know, that's based on the individual and what they go in and tell the clinic that they need, and this isn't enough or this is too much, you know. And each person is going to be looking for something different. You know, some people want to be numb to life. You know, it's just that's how they feel. That's what they feel like they need to function. While as other people want the least amount of feeling, you know, from the drug anyway. Um, I know for myself, like I was amazed. So I had a surgery and had to take, didn't have to take. I chose to take some pain medications. And uh, I was amazed at how just taking as prescribed didn't like totally fuck me up like it did when I took like seven you know, like right. when I just took one, I'm like, oh man, I'm not even nodding out. Like, what, you know, <laughs> this kind of sucks. Like, I got, I got a know? burn bag. Right. Like, here, I thought I was going to be able to, you know, catch a buzz. And it, not that it didn't affect me. I mean, it obviously right. it affected me. Um, but it wasn't, you know, like being high, you know, it didn't feel the same. So, so what do we need to be more like if, if we don't want to hold on to this strong version of clean? Maybe maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe we don't be, need to be so defensive about it. I mean, I don't think we want anybody obviously intoxicated in front of our meetings for newer members to see. Like, that's not a good example of, you know, what it's like to live differently. But maybe for the most part, we could just let go of this. Like, is there a, a normal person version of that? Like, what do they hold on to that they let go of or I'm trying to think like we talked about you know people who have degrees or or are high up in a field being offended by someone who's not Hmm. and having an opinion like I've seen that argument online like who are you to say that right like you don't even have a degree or whatever with chiropractics you heard about that (laughs) (laughs) that could be one I mean like I don't know so I have a friend who's a runner and runs ultra marathons right she would never be offended if somebody goes out and runs a mile every two weeks said they're a runner she would be like, that's fucking awesome. You're a runner. Cool. Like, I run too. Like, she would yeah. never, it would never be about belittling or, or you're not a real runner unless you do this. But, like, why why do we hold on to these things? Why can't it just be like, oh, cool, I'm clean too. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad you're doing it. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. Ego. Either. We're ego. Uh, self-centered. The core of our disease is right. our self-centeredness. So it might not be that she's a runner and that's why she's okay with it. She just might not have the ego piece. About right. That. Or like, the self-centered part. There's like, probably some other runners out there like, yeah. you're not a fuck. You walk, motherfucker. Well, I mean, at least, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe like normal people walk around and they don't give a shit what you call yourself. You can call mm. yourself whatever you want to call yourself. What do I care? <laughs> you know, mm. it doesn't affect me. But as an addict, we're so sensitive to how someone might think something about us because you said something like we, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that's everybody. <laughs> right. No, uh, I think that's unique the, to us. Do you think so? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Everybody I meet self-centered, but maybe they're all just, maybe I'm just think they're self-centered because <laughs> yeah. I am. <laughs> Yeah. You think they all think like you. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm so self-centered that I just assume they all think like me. Uh, that's the only lens I got to look through right now. I like to think better of the world. I know you do. I know. I was raised with a very pessimistic view of, of life. It's out to get me. Fuck everybody. Uh, I don't know. You got anything else about mental health medication? I will just say for my you know, final take on it, I didn't think it was all too 
polarizing to to get 151 <laughs> argumentative comments out of people, but what the hell? Yeah, I, I didn't find anything overly uh, exciting in the IP itself. I mean, it, they said some things that I totally agree with. Like, look, if you even think you have some mental health issues, go talk to a professional. You know, right. if, if you have a sponsor and you have a solid network in recovery, you know, it's it's probably not harmful to go talk to a professional if you're averse to medication start with a a therapist or a you know psychologist and then they can help you decide whether you might have a a mental disorder that needs medication or not you know and which is a beautiful statement and i would one step further for anyone out there 12-step fellowship or not earthling or not addict or not whatever you consider yourself if your life satisfaction is not high Go try, right? Like if <laughs> right. nothing else, you find out that that's not what's going to work for you, right? If nothing else, you've ruled out, all right, well, I don't have to worry about that bullshit anymore. That's not going to work. But like you might find that there's some power in, in that room as well. Just like we talk about there's a crazy power going on in, in the rooms of our program. There's a power going on in the room of therapy, man, that just has the ability to help and transform some people. And so... If you're not feeling like you're getting the most out of life, we have a limited time here and and we're running the fuck out of it, right? So don't wait. Like, go seek out something and just see if there's something better for you. Yeah, amen. All right. With that, (laughs) we'll be back next week. Enjoy your week. Everybody stay safe. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with people you think might benefit from the conversation. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation also and share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear it.